You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. At the beginning of this year, or at the beginning of uh, 2020, I guess March, April, uh, the the church uh, was called non-essential by the world. And perhaps they had the right to call the church non-essential because maybe she has been. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. And maybe we've been doing a lot of talking and not a lot of walking in power. Perhaps if we become the ecclesia that Jesus meant for us to be, um, no one would be able to call us non-essential. Maybe if we walk in the power and authority that Jesus meant for us to have, we would be essential. Maybe the church was called non-essential because we were all talk and no power. What if we really had the authority to heal all kinds of sicknesses and diseases? What if we really had the authority to cast out demons? What if we really had the authority to bring freedom to a whole region, to a whole city? What if the power we walked in was undeniable and absolutely essential? It's essential that the church gets back to fully relying on the transforming power of Jesus and stop leaning on cute services. Stop leaning on feel-good messages and intellectual arguments. The world needs more than good services. The world needs more than talented musicians and gifted speakers. The world needs more than angry Christians with persuasive arguments and conservative rhetoric. It needs people who have been completely transformed by the power and the love of God. That is what the world needs. And only Jesus has the power to transform a person. Only Jesus has the power to transform a family. Only Jesus has the power to transform a city and a nation. How do we become this essential church, this beautiful bride, this powerful ecclesia that Jesus called us? That word ecclesia literally means a governing body. Jesus meant to put us in places where we had the authority spiritually to reign and rule over that area in his name. Where we had the authority to bring heaven to earth. How do we become that bride? How do we become that ecclesia? How do we become that body? How do we walk in that power? It's Romans 12, 2. New King James Version says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, be, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The New Living Translation says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Don't conform. What was Paul? Paul was warning us, don't conform. Don't conform to the patterns, the methods, the systems, the ideologies, the theories, the opinions of this culture. Don't let let it squeeze you into a mold of this age. But so easily, the leaven of the age slips into the church. The devil's not dumb. He slips in. And he causes us to succumb to a worldly system and and it can begin to become all about us while saying it's all about Jesus. Self-centeredness is the opposite of the gospel. Self-centered, self-pleasing, indulgent, the church has easily got into, got sucked into chasing fame chasing success, chasing influence, chasing stages, chasing money, chasing power in the name of the kingdom, in the name of Jesus, when really it's all about us. 
what can Jesus do for me kind of Christianity is what the church easily has falling into. There's a huge difference between confirmation and transformation. Don't be conformed. Paul is warning the church here, don't do things the world's way. Stop intimidating the ideals, the opinions, the systems, the theories, the patterns of this world. And it's real easy. The devil can really slide in and, and whisper and, you know, he appears as an angel of light. Luke 11, Jesus says, be sure that the light in you is not darkness. <laughs> What's your motive? <laughs> if you do things this way, you'll get more people, you'll make more money, you'll get a bigger following. Come on, it's all about Jesus. And we easily take our plans and we try to incorporate Jesus into those plans. Or we, we, we take our plans and we ask God to bless them. When he says, I know the plans I have for you. So it's not my plans and my dreams, it's God, what are your plans for my life? <clears throat> so we, <laughs> it's, conf- it's confirmation to the world's way when we try to go with our plans and our dreams and incorporate Jesus into them. I said my prayer, I got my ticket to heaven, I go to church on Sundays, I avoid big sins, but then I still go about doing things the world's way. <laughs> Conformity oftentimes says, come on man, show me in the Bible where that's wrong. Stop being so legalistic. I can still dress like that. I can still watch that. I can still listen to that. I can still smoke that. I can still drink that. You can, and you can go to heaven. (laughs) While there is a ditch called legalism, there's also a path called holiness. While there's a ditch called legalism, there's also a path called holiness. We're also supposed to be a people that are holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. We are supposed to be so other than anything the world has ever seen. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to walk like, talk like, act like him. He's our model. He's our mold. Romans 8 says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, there, now it says, don't be conformed to the world. Romans 8, you back up a few chapters, says, be conformed to the image of Christ. The word that Paul uses for conformed in Romans 12 means to slip into a mold of. The word he uses in Romans 8 means attach yourself to so that you become like. So you're supposed to attach yourself to Jesus to become like him. That's transformation. That's transformation. <clears throat> Confirmation oftentimes looks like a little bit of behavior modification because behavior modification actually can help you have a better life. It really can. But you can change your behavior and still have a heart that is far from God. You can change your behavior and it will give you a better life. Kingdom principles work. Sometimes kingdom principles are dangerous because they work so well. You can actually live life the way God designed it to be lived and experience blessing and experience good thing but your heart can still be far from God. (laughs) You can avoid detrimental sins and still have a heart that is far from him. I want you to know this morning that God is in the business of transformation. He's in the business of completely transforming us. I see so many believers who try to just add Jesus to their life instead of letting him completely transform their life. Judas followed Jesus, but never allowed Jesus to take over every part of his heart. So you can be close to Jesus and not truly encounter him. You can even, Jesus, you can watch him move in power and wonder and still not be completely changed. We are meant to become a new creation. The old passing away, the new coming. The word that Paul uses in being transformed is the word metamorpho, which we get the word metamorphosis from. 
which if you go back to seventh grade science class, it reminds you of a caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out a butterfly. That is the kind of transformation Paul is talking about, that you completely come something entirely different. It's not like, (laughs) transformation is not a little less you and a little more of him. It's you're dead and he's alive. It's Galatians 2.20, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been co-crucified with him. (laughs) And we will not transform culture by becoming like it. Too many sermons preached in America today are self-help jargon with Jesus mixed in, and it's not working. I'm not trying to be critical. I want to have a lot of grace, but there are a lot of churches that are closed that need to stay closed. And I believe that the church, the ecclesia, will, be, will begin transforming culture when we have been transformed by him. And you see little pockets of it. You see little slivers of it. You see it on this campus here. You see transformation take place in people's lives. You see it on different churches who are walking in their, their God-given identity. You see, you see heaven breaking out in different in places where people believe that Jesus really did transform me. <laughs> and I want to say this. You have, your spirit has been transformed. You're going to heaven. Now it's getting your mind to a place where it's transformed. It's like sanctification. You have been sanctified. You are righteous, but you are also being made righteous. You are sanctified. You're also being sanctified. You are holy. You are also being made holy. It's a journey that we're on. It is incredible. Your whole life, and this is from the young, you, the youngest to the oldest. The oldest person in here been following Jesus your whole life. You're still getting closer to him. It's not, there's not like an end game. You don't arrive. I, 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 I gave a word on Wednesday night when we did the worship night. When you get saved, you become the bride of Christ and then the, you spend your whole life, the Holy Spirit is the one who escorts you closer and closer to your bridegroom, Jesus. And so your whole life, you are moving in a direction that is towards him. That's why Paul said you are pre, you're saved, you're predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. We are moving closer to him. <laughs> Your, salvation doesn't mean dying and going to heaven. If salvation is dying and going to heaven, then death is your savior. <laughs> salvation is not an escape plan from planet earth. Salvation is to bring you back into fellowship with God so he can re-identify you, transform you into everything you were meant to be everything you were meant to be and then send you out into the world to transform it. Why would he tell his disciples, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations? He said, don't sit around and wait and I'll come bail you out or sit around in this building until you die. That's not what he, that's not his command to us. Paul is showing us here, you're not going to save the world by becoming like it. You're going to change the world by becoming holy. By becoming so unlike anything the world has ever seen. We've got, to, we've got to believe that we live in a kingdom. That we serve a king. That the kingdom works. And the kingdom is the culture of heaven. Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? Heaven. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you into heaven when you die. I'm trying to get you into heaven now. 
Come on. There's a better life. There's an abundant resurrection life. And it's not based on material possessions. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy and the Holy Ghost. Come on. You can have peace and joy that is unexplainable. You've been transformed. Now you've got to believe that you've been transformed. (laughs) I believe, I believe that miracles are a mature manifestation of the kingdom. Why aren't miracles normal? Maybe because we're not ready for them. Maybe because we're mixed with culture. Maybe we are double-minded. Maybe our eye isn't solely focused. I've heard people say, well, miracles aren't supposed to be normal because uh, uh, miracles are, are rare. And if they were normal, they wouldn't be miracles. Baloney. Tell Jesus that. Because miracles seem to be a pretty normal part of his ministry. <laughs> Just read the Gospels and don't skip over the, those verses where it says, and they brought all their sick to them, to him, and he healed them. Town after town after town. They seem to be a pretty normal part. They also seem to be a pretty normal part of the New Testament church. <clears throat> a miracle is anything that defies the laws of nature. Commonality has nothing to do with it. <laughs> When the supernatural breaks into the natural and changes something, that's a miracle. We're Christians. We're not supposed to be normal. We're not supposed to be balanced. We're supposed to be so completely transformed by the power of God. (laughs) We're supposed to be carriers of his supernatural presence, not imitators of culture. We have been designed to create a counterculture called the kingdom that overrides all other cultures. The power of Jesus transforms people, things, places, cultures, cities, nations, and the whole world. Revelation 11 is a promise. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Amen. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. Paul says that all creation is groaning. All creation is wait. That word groaning means waiting with eager expectation. One translation says it's waiting on tiptoe. For what? For the revealing or the manifesting of the sons and daughters of Yahweh. What does that mean? It means that everything around us is, it goes on to say it's subject to futility. It's subject to the consequences of sin. And it's waiting for a people, a church, an ecclesia, people to believe that they've been adopted, that they become sons and daughters, that they're carriers of supernatural presence. And they step into the creation and they bring it back into its original design. Adam and Eve had a job. They were supposed to tend to and take dominion of the earth. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and extend the garden of Eden all over the earth. Jesus came to restore that which was lost. Not who, which was lost. Who is part of the witch? Not like a witch with a hat. Like W. Something like witch. I'm not a witch. <laughs> He came to restore us back to our original identity, our original design. So now we can walk with God in the cool of the day again, just like Adam, and we can extend this garden called the kingdom. Come on. There's no age limit on this. The youngest to the oldest. The youngest doesn't have a junior Holy Spirit, and the oldest that you are not graduated into heaven yet. You are still here. (laughs) And so your job is still to make this earth look like heaven. Transformation takes two things. It takes encounter and it takes repentance. Transformation takes encounter and it takes repentance. 
It takes an encounter with Jesus and then it takes repentance. And those aren't a one-time thing. Those are lifestyle. You encounter Jesus, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It is near, it is within, it is here. Repent doesn't just mean turn away from your sin. Repent actually means, the word he was using means to change the way that you think. Change the way that you think because the kingdom is here. So stop thinking like the world and start thinking like me. What did Paul say? You'll be transformed by renewing your mind. Change the way that you think. Come on. That's how we experience transformation. We change the way that we think. Transformation requires repentance. Repentance requires encounter. But I believe that repentance leads to a lifestyle of encounter. (laughs) Repentance, encounter leads to repentance, but repentance will lead you into a life style, a lifetime of encounters. Jesus doesn't want to have just a one-time emotional moment encounter with you at the altar. He wants to meet with you every day. Come on. We don't serve a God that's far away. We serve a God that is near and here, and he's in this room right now. Come on. Now change the way that you think. It's because transformation of behavior requires a transformation of thinking. I know I'm teaching a lot. I'm about to preach from the word, but I'm just teaching. Transformation of behavior requires a transformation of thinking. Tim preached a sermon earlier this year says, as, called As a Man Thinketh. You need to go listen to it. Because in Proverbs it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So it's as you think about the deepest place of who you are, that is what your behavior is going to be like. So if you will begin to see yourself as a redeemed, as a washed cleaned, as a son, as a daughter, you'll begin to act like one. But if you see yourself as a pervert, you're going to act like a pervert. What do you see yourself as? In the deep place of who you are, what do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as a king and queen meant to reign and rule, meant to bring heaven to earth? He is the king of kings. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a king or a queen, whatever you want to be. Your behavior, though, is going to be a direct reflection of the way that you think about yourself. All right, now turn to John 9. John chapter 9. Are y'all getting some of that out of this? I haven't cried yet. I've been yelling at you, but I haven't cried yet. (laughs) I just get really intense. I love this. Uh, Stephen, the former youth pastor that was here, that, that has a, he's a lead pastor of a church in Arkansas. He used to tell me, Josh, you got to tone it down some because even when you're not intense, you're intense. <laughs> and so when you're intense, he said, if you think you're intense, you're probably screaming at people. So I got to remind myself, <laughs> bring it back in a little bit. John chapter nine, I want to look at a story of the transforming power of Jesus. And I want to pull some things out of it for us today. Verse one, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, the disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It's not because of his sins or his parents, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming that no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. How many of you know that Jesus is still in the world? The Holy Spirit is in you. He is in the world. We are now the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. 
but I am in the world. I am here in the world. I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread mud over the blind man's eyes. Gross, first of all. But it's wild to me. I think sometimes we know these stories and we can just fly through them so easily. But it's wild that, that they come across this blind man. They begin talking about him in front of him like he's not there. Jesus never addresses him and then spits in the mud and then rubs it on his eyes. Dude's blind. He can't see what's going on. Do you ever think about that? Like, goodness, and think about how much spit Jesus had to work up. I mean, dude had to hark a big one up and rub it around in the dirt to make mud. That's gross. To have enough to cover his eyes, that's disgusting. And this blind guy just stands there while he listens to this dude, just gross. It's nasty. And then whenever, the, whenever I started feeling something moist cover my eyes, Whoa, man, what are you doing? Like you think Jesus, give him some, you know, give him some warning what you're about to do, right? Well, we can't do that because then the blind guy will be like, uh, is there another way? Can you just touch me? You know, say, just say the word Jesus and it'll happen. <laughs> and in Mark, the, it, Jesus heals another blind man and he, Jesus just spits in his face. Wow. Golly. Spin in his face. My goodness. <laughs> if you read a few of the laws in the Old Testament, spit was a sign of disgust. Spit was a sign of disdain for something or someone. And there were some religious leaders when they saw sick people, blind people, deaf people, lepers, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, they would spit in disgust. So why would Jesus do this? I mean, have some compassion, Jesus. Seems kind of harsh. Seems kind of offensive. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 23 to 28, we have a story where a woman, a Gentile woman, comes to Jesus begging for her daughter to be healed. And Jesus says, I came for the sheep of Israel, not for the dogs. I have never called a woman a dog, but I can't imagine that it would go over very well if I did. Jesus calls this woman a dog. See, I think a lot of times if Jesus walked around nowadays, we have such this weird image of him, like he's just all loving and all kind and you know and he is those things but it's just like we have this like it's guru jesus like walking through the daisies like it's hip like we think hippie jesus he called a woman a dog he called a woman a dog but she stay it says she stays and she worships and she says yes master but even dogs get scraps off the off the master's table and he says my goodness woman your daughter's healed go home this man stays and listens to his spit that he would have heard over and over and over and over again from religion disgusted at him. And he stays in that place because there's something different about this man's presence. Oftentimes our breakthrough is on the other side of spit. Your breakthrough is going to be on the other side of your offense. It's going to be the other, on the other side of someone telling you something that you don't want to hear. 
And many times when Jesus comes and he encounters us, we get exposed and he begins to call things out. He does it in a loving way and he's tender. He's a good father, but he begins, he begins to come and call things out in our life that he wants us to lay down. And if we are unwilling to lay those things down, we will not see breakthrough and we will not see complete transformation. Transformation is found on the other side of offense. The transforming power of Jesus comes after the most painful places of who you are. He comes after the most hurt places, the most wounded places of who you are. Because he's the only one that can completely heal them. Let him offend you. Let him offend you. We must be willing to give up our dignity to be healed. We must be willing to give up our dignity to be healed. I think a lot of times humility is the first step in a transformation. That's why it was so powerful that you saw all these people at the altar on Wednesday night. That's why, that's why I called for people to come. Because, it, because oftentimes transformation happens when someone says, I'm not okay. I'm not okay and I need Jesus. There's something in my heart that's going awry and I need Jesus. And that's where Jesus says, I want that one and I'm going to build her up from the ground. She's humbled herself all the way to the ground. Now I'm going to build her back up and tell her who she really is. Oftentimes we have to give up our pride and our image in order to be transformed. Look at verse 7. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing transformation demands a response. Are you with me? Transformation demands a response. Transformation demands obedience. Jesus is not going to force himself on you. He's going to call you and he's going to see if you're going to come. He's going to tell you to go and see if you're going to go. He's going to call you to lay something down to see if you're going to lay something down. Transformation is always two-way. He reaches out his hand, but we have to take it. Transformation demands a response. You go back a few chapters to John chapter 5, and Jesus comes to the lame man who's been lame for 38 years. Dude can't walk for 38 years. And Jesus asks what seems like the dumbest question ever. Do you want to be made well? Duh. Couldn't walk for 38 years. Yeah, I want to be made well. That seems like a really dumb question. Why does Jesus ask it? You need to know this morning, it's because not everybody does. Not everybody wants to be made well. Not everybody wants to leave their dysfunction behind. Not everybody wants to lay down their idol. Not everybody wants to be healed. A lot of pe- Our culture has made an idol out of being a victim. And so you've got people who are racing towards the bottom. Because if I race towards the bottom, then somebody will see me. Somebody will give me something. And Jesus does not do that. I want you to know this morning that true compassion always challenges people. True compassion never enables. It always challenges. You want to help somebody get out of where they're at? Challenge them. Jesus did not let this man, he didn't say, oh, I feel so sorry for you. Let me go start a fundraiser for you. I'm not anti-fundraiser, so golly, don't. I felt that in the room. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that. I have a GoFundMe. God bless you. I'll give, I'll give money to it unless it's for your cat. Okay. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <clears throat> but not everybody. Why? Because transformation, transformation demands responsibility. And not everybody wants to be transformed because you're, gonna, you're going to step into more 
responsibility. The transforming power of Jesus never leaves us where we're at. That's not what he's looking to do. The transforming power of Jesus demands a response. And transformation always comes with a degree of responsibility. Let's move on. I could do a whole sermon on that one, but we'll move on. Uh, Verse, where was I? Y'all got me all messed up. Verse 9. Someone said, uh, uh, verse 8, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, others said, no, he looks just like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the one. Transformation should make you unrecognizable. Transformation should make you unrecognizable. You go to to another miracle in John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. He wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants to take something ordinary and normal and dysfunctional and turn it into something extraordinary. That's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. (laughs) Have you been transformed to the degree in which people don't even recognize you anymore? Have you been transformed to the degree that your friends and your family don't recognize you anymore? Can you look back? I look back at pictures of myself. I look back. uh, Facebook memories is just a curse for all in mankind. But I look back, pictures of myself, um, mainly because my mom gets them and then she sends me all these pictures back when I was in high school and it's awful, just time I want to forget. Um, But I look back at pictures of myself from 12, 13, 14 years ago and I don't even recognize that kid anymore. I don't even, we have different, there's a different countenance. There's a different countenance. I look back at pictures of that kid. I'm like, that's not me. I think about some of the things that I used to do and when I talk about them in my testimony, I think, that's not me. I'm not even tempted by that garbage anymore. I don't even want to get close to any of that anymore. That's completely off my radar. And I, and I walk, I, I run into people that I haven't seen in 10, 12, 11 years. And they're like, you're the same person. What in the world? That's what transformation does. You know, Paul Kern stands up here and talks about his testimony. Who is that guy? You know what I mean? It's like Paul's schizophrenic and he's talking about another life that he lived. Like, that's wild. But it's true because you were dead and you have been made alive. Transformation, come on. Transformation makes you unrecognizable. Let's move on. Actually, let's move down for sake of time. Uh, they, they talk about, they're like, oh, you didn't do that. No, Jesus couldn't do that. No, you, Whatever. That's my Josh Burnett translation. Uh, verse 18. Verse 18. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? The parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Awesome parents. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said he is old enough. Ask him. Your, your son just experienced a radical transformation and you won't even come to his defense. You're more, they were more worried about being tied to a religious system than they were about their son's freedom. Come on. Here's the deal. Transformation re-identifies you. Transformation gives you a new dad. Transformation adopts you and you now have Abba, no matter what your parents say about you. 
no matter if they come to your defense or not, you have been re-identified. And this man was going through a process where he was about to be completely re-identified all the way down to his parents. I love my boys and I love my little girl, but I want them to know more than anything like your father in heaven. He's so much better than me. He's so much better than me. It re-identifies you. You were a sinner. You're no longer a sinner anymore. You've been saved. You were blind, but now you, were, but now you can see. You were bound, but now you're free. I was an addict, but now I'm free. I've been re-identified. I was an orphan, but I've been adopted. I was a sinner, but I'm made righteous. I was dead, but I'm alive. I was lost, but I'm found. Transformation. Come on. Transformation re-identifies you. And I believe there's some people in this room today, you're struggling with this because you so identify with the sin that is seeking to destroy you. And I want you to know this morning that your father in heaven sees you like he sees Jesus. He sees you washed clean. He sees you redeemed. And the devil is keeping you from transformation because you have tied yourself to a lie about yourself. The reason that you're addicted to pornography is because you believe that you're a pervert. That's not what God says about you. When the prodigal son came home, the father never called him prodigal. He only called him my son. Divorce yourself from the lie that the devil has put inside of your head. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I can't get rid of this dysfunction. It's because you've identified yourself with that dysfunction. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man in who had been born blind. God should get glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Boy, were they wrong. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, but now I can see. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Like, how are you so different? Jesus, I don't know. I can't explain it. And if you can't explain it, it may not be real transformation. Because the grace of God doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. <laughs> look the man explained I told you once didn't you listen why didn't you hear do you want to be his disciples too I love that it's like he's a smart aleck with him then they cursed him and said you are a disciple we're of him but we're disciples of Moses we know God spoke to Moses but we don't even know where this man came from well that's very strange the man replied he healed my eyes you don't know where he came from we know that God doesn't listen to sinners but is ready to hear hear those who worship him and do his will ever since the world began no one No one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, and they answered, they answered, and you're trying to teach us, and they threw him out of the synagogue. Threw the man out. Dude was blind, and now he can see. And they threw him out. (laughs) Golly. (laughs) But I want you to know this morning that religion is always afraid of what it doesn't understand. We have got to caution ourselves that we are not the older brother. That is, that is the ditch that we probably fall in in the South and the Bible Belt as we fall in the ditch of religion. But we've got to see that girl is dancing like that because she's been set free. That man is singing like that because he has been set free. That man is running around right now because he met Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. Transformation is always going to cause rejection. Listen, this is hard. Transformation is always going to cause rejection from both religion and the world. Listen, when I met Jesus, my friends threw me out. 
<laughs> and a lot of the church thought I was a hypocrite. I, I mean, it was my own fault, but. But I was at a place where the world didn't want nothing to do with me. Religious people didn't want nothing to do with me. It causes rejection from both religion and the world. But here's the key. Here, I want you to understand, religion is, is uh, rejection from religion and the world is the grace of God. Hear me. Rejection from religion and the world is the grace of God. Why? Verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. I'm crying. I just remember, I remember all the rejection that I faced whenever I gave my life to Jesus. I remember it from both sides. And man, I wouldn't take back any of it. I would walk through it all over again because it put me on my knees more than any other time in my life. It made me go straight to him because I knew something had changed. I knew something was different in my life. And it made me run straight to that man who had changed me. And I'm so glad nobody took me in. The thing that caused the prodigal son to come to his senses is nobody gave him anything. <laughs> I will say, man, religion. <sighs> I'm so glad because it caused me to run right to him. Mark 5, I'm almost done. Mark chapter 5, Jesus comes and he, he, he meets the demoniac, the man in the, the garrisons who's, who's living in a graveyard and, and screaming and cutting himself and like, like real like horror movie type stuff. Like it was intense. And uh, Jesus comes and he has an encounter with Jesus and gets completely set free. It says the people from the village come out and they see this man who was possessed by a legion of demons. They see him completely set free. And it says they saw him in his right mind, clothed. So dude was running around naked. He was, cl- that's wild. He was clothed in his right mind talking to Jesus. And it says, and they were, they were terrified. They were terrified. You weren't terrified before when he was running around cutting himself? But you're terrified now that he's clothed in his right mind talking to Jesus. And it says they begged Jesus to leave. Why? Because transformation removes all the excuses of religion. Transformation removes all the excuses of religion. Because what religion does is it gets really self-righteous and it says at least I'm not like so-and-so. At least I'm doing better than that guy in the graveyard, right? I'm doing better than Joe out there running around naked, right? I'm doing better than so-and-so. When they walk in and see that man who was going through that much, dis- that much dysfunction and they see him completely set free, it removed all their excuses. And they thought if, he, if this man, Jesus, can set this guy free, he's coming after my dysfunction. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to hide it for long. And Jesus then turns this guy loose. You think... Anybody needs discipleship? It's probably the guy who was possessed by 2,000 demons. Right? Jesus doesn't let him go. He turns him into evangelist and he says, go share your story with these 10 cities. That's incredible. That is the transforming power of Jesus. You can encounter Jesus in a moment and you can be completely set free for the rest of your life. He can set you free from porn. He can set you free from crack. He can set you free from pride. He can set you free from insecurity. And I'm, listen, I'm not against 12-step programs. I'm not, I think, I think some of those things are awesome. 
But here's the deal. I believe that you can encounter the presence and glory of God to such a degree that you enter in the one-step program. Last thing. He found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Verse 37, you had seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. True transformation leads to worship. True transformation leads to worship. And I know you're thinking like, duh, but true transformation leads to a laying down of our entire lives. It leads to a lifetime of worship. We don't even learn the man's name in the story. It's just the blind man who, got, who can now can see. You don't even learn his name. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus. We don't learn the man's name. Why? Because we're all him. We're all the blind man that now can see. The story's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his transforming power. He's the one thing. And I want you to understand, nothing can transform you like worship. Because that man's eyes have been healed, but he's about to get healed all the way to the core. Every single part of him is about to be healed. Jack Hayford teaches, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. We become like what we behold. We become like what we look at. We become like what we spend time with. And I believe that worship is the single most important thing in the life of a believer. It's the most essential element of continued transformation. Hear me. Worship is the most essential element of continued transformation. Worship is the most essential element of continued transformation. Why? Because when you worship him, you become like him. When you worship him, he transforms you into his image. When I pray for sick people, I'm not seeing them healed. Worship. Well, my family still worship. Well, I'm still struggling with worship. Well, I don't know about all this worship. Just worship. Just worship. Just get in his place, in, in that secret place. Get in your quiet time and worship him. It's not for just Wednesday night worship nights that come once a quarter. It's lifestyle of worship. You get into your secret place and you worship. As you're going to work, you worship. You're constantly in communion and fellowship with him. You allow him to fill you with his spirit. And as you are filled with his spirit, you begin to walk in power. As he fills you with his spirit, you begin to walk in power. I believe, I believe that believers, that the church can carry his presence to such a degree that they transform the world around them. I believe that we can carry the presence of God to such a degree that when you walk into places, the atmosphere changes because you are there. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure that when you walk into Walmart, demons flee. Fear not, little flock. When you walk into that hospital room, sickness has to leave. Fear not, little flock. Well, I didn't see it happen. Worship. Stay in that place and worship. I believe that it's possible I just believe that we've got to get to ourselves to a place of believing that it's possible. And I believe that we can, what happens is people, people lower their expectations to what they've experienced. 
Never lower your expectations to what you've experienced. Dropping graduation invitations. This is our standard. You raise it to this. Get your expectations up to this. Don't lower it to what you've seen. Say, God, you said this. And I'm going to stay in this place until I see it happen. And if I don't see it happen, my kids are going to see it happen. I'm going, to be, I'm going to stir this faith up until I see it take place. I believe that we are meant to carry the nature of God till we see things transform around us. to where the people in our life begin to become completely free. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm putting you all to sleep. Y'all stand with me. Listen. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to go, but before you go, I want you to go and wait. You go and wait for the promise that the Father is sending. What's the promise? The Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you in power, and then you're going to take my message to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Go and wait And let that power transform you to the degree that you begin to transform everywhere that you go. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for this ministry. God, we surrender to you. God, don't let this just be another cute, like, feel-good sermon, but let us right now take it to heart. Let us believe that these things are possible. You told your disciples to go heal the sick. You told them to cast out demons. You told them to raise the dead. And if you told them, you're telling us because we are your disciples, Lord. We're following you. Show us how to carry this nature. Show us how to be a holy people, a set-apart people, a people that we have been transformed. May we believe that we can transform everything around us. Show us how to carry your nature. Lord, I thank you for your freedom. I thank you that you came and you found me, that you came and when I was at my lowest of low, you came and you wrapped your arms around me and with your goodness, you called me back into the house. You called me back into your mercy and your grace and your love and your power. Lord, help this church, help Christian ministries, help the members, help us to be the ecclesia that you've called us to be. Help us to be the governing body that you've called us to be. That we, we so become who you've called us to be that the, the, the world around us begins to change. That Hot Springs Village begins to be transformed and Hot Springs begins to be transformed. And, and, and Fountain Lake and Jesseville begin to be transformed. And Mountain Pine gets transformed in Jesus' name. God, we loose the power of the Holy Spirit to enter in Mountain Pine right now. Lord, we believe that you can set addicts free. And we believe that you can heal racial divide. Lord, let Mountain Pine have such a degree of transformation that they change their school mascot. And they'll no longer be the Mountain Pine Red Devils. God, their school will be transformed. That their town will be transformed. God, I rebuke a victim and a poverty spirit off of that place right now in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, we loose the power of the Holy Spirit on Mountain Pine. Show us how we can bring transformation, how we can shine bright into that darkness, God. Show us how we can transform these communities around us, Lord. How we can be a city on a hill. Lord, help us to take the baskets off our heads. Help us to fan into flame until we become a raging forest fire that is undeniable. Show us how to be that church. 
that it wouldn't just be about cute services and good sermons and man, the worship was really good today, but it's about you, Jesus, that we become a church on fire for you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We remember our testimonies right now, God, and we say, do it again. Do it again, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all this. Go before us this week. Come behind us. Use us, God. We say, here we are. Send us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.